The crux lies in a visionary approach. Manufacturers these days need to delineate a clear destination and reverse engineer their pathway. And one of the best ways of doing that is through digital manufacturing. In essence, digital manufacturing and execution is a formidable ally in the pursuit of market dominance. This is the ERP Organizational Change Journal podcast, brought to you by Nestle & Associates, a Newport Beach, California-based ERP organizational change management firm serving the private equity industry. The ERP OCJ seeks to share expertise, insight, experience, and research, and to create effective conversation to help guide ERP organizational change to real, measurable, and verified success. And now, here's your ERP expert and host, the founder of Nestle & Associates, Dr. Jack Nestle. Hello everyone, Jack here. Today we're diving deep into the organizational and operational transformations in manufacturing, with a spotlight on how people change their mindsets and processes, all enabled through technology. Our guest for today's discussion is Andrew Sparrow. Not just a prominent voice in the industry, Andrew is a catalyst for change and innovation. Andrew firmly believes that standing still means going backward and champions the belief that change starts with people. He helped manufacturers reshore and digitize, is a staunch advocate for operational excellence, and has shared his insights across blogs, vlogs, podcasts, and live shows. Andrew has graced the corridors of some of the world's largest companies like Airbus, Sony, Siemens, and so many more. From Laguna Hills, California, Andrew, welcome to the show. Uh, Jack, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Humbled to be invited on the show. Um, excited to uh, have a conversation with you about manufacturing. Likewise, likewise. And thank you again for your time. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to sharing out your, your expertise. Uh, Andrew, before we get started, can you please tell us more about yourself? Um, introduce yourself further to our listeners. It'd be my pleasure to uh, to maybe blow my own trumpet a little bit. I'll, <laughs> I'll try to keep uh, temperate. But here we go. So I, th- there was a guy that you probably heard of called Warren Buffett. He always used to say, when everybody's going one way, go the other. Um, I certainly would not compare myself to him for one second. Uh, but I am a bit of a white space kind of guy. Um, I'm always like to be kind of first in when I see an opportunity. So going back, it was it was in the late 90s where my manufacturing experiences began. I got into SAP, uh, self-taught, and rode the millennium bug wave. Some of us may remember that. We were all scrambling, thinking the world was going to burn down in year 2000. Um, you also probably recall that didn't happen, but I got very busy. So we were manufacturing across process industries, discrete industries, and we built a um, $50 million business back then globally around the world, about seven or eight offices around the world, about 300 consultants, having a lot of fun. Um, and then one, one day I, I woke up uh, and, and said, I want to change. I want to go do something different. So sold out of that business, climbed into real estate in emerging economies. Now, emerging economies have emerging people. And they have just good old common people, great people who just are trying to put food on the table. And I do remember it was one day when I was developing a significant resort and the uh, designs came through and suddenly I realized we were falling behind on our construction and found that beneath this resort, there was tunnels. And we thought, hold on a minute, we just built a whole resort on top of a whole bunch of tunnels. And I won't bore you with the whole story, but basically this is back in World War II where 
in these Asian islands where I was located, the Japanese took over, they built tunnels and they would have kind of anti-aircraft guns built in. But what happened after the war, they all got, we thought, filled in, but they weren't filled in. And in actual fact, they were in a location we were building on. So it challenged the local designers. I, I jumped into computer aid design CAD, um, the product lifecycle, and kind of jumped forward a little way, loving that. Um, I decided that I wanted to kind of develop that a little further. And then, cut a long story short, while I was jumping between Asia and Los Angeles, where I was living, my dear old mom got a little sick. Uh, she'd had a major fall. Uh, and my wife said, Andrew, you better go back home to the country of your birth, which I did, returned home and went, hold on a minute, there's not much demand for building resorts in the UK. Um, it rains a bit too much. So instead, I jumped back into my manufacturing technology world. And at this point, Industry 4.0 had come along. So the timing was perfect. I had fallen into a new age of innovation and things were changing. So I remember it was back back then the consumer had started to change and you know good old Jeff Bezos and Amazon had come up with this idea that the consumer could always personalize whatever they wanted to do. They could always get their products quicker than ever before. So I'd entered an area of innovation, an era of personalization and realized that wow our manufacturing industry has to really, really change. And then jump forward a period of time back in the US, I realized for the last 40 years, we've pretty much decimated our manufacturing industry. Um, and Jack, I don't know if you know, but I think it was by 2005, we had lost one third of our manufacturing skills to overseas. And I realized quickly the only solution to that was automation, digitalization, and artificial intelligence as we go forward. So we jumped all over it. I jumped all over it and realized that you know back in the 90s when we were doing SAP implementations and we were coming up with pre-configured solutions, that was not relevant prevalent in the manufacturing sector. So we said, we need to fix this. So we wanted to create a lot of pre-configured solutions for manufacturing that didn't mean that when it wanted to improve, it took them two years. It meant it could take them two months or three months to correct that situation. So that's, a, I guess, a long-winded way of giving you my background, but it kind of brings us forward to where we are today. Yeah. Well, thank you for the overview, Andrew. What a fascinating story. Looking forward to, to sharing out more with our listeners and, you know, with, with your vast experience in manufacturing and, and from strategic planning right down to the shop floor dynamics, uh, I have no doubt that today's discussion will offer a significant value. It's our hope that everyone from the private equity firms to the very individuals driving change on the manufacturing floor will, will benefit from your experience and your insight. Uh, so we're really looking forward to this. Listeners, all of us here at the ERPOCJ hope you find this podcast useful as we share lessons learned, discover best practices, and explore the human element components of ERP organizational change. Please stay with us till the end. Andrew will give us his actionable golden nugget of advice based on today's conversation, and I will recap today's key discoveries and offer my suggestions on how to implement what we've learned. Our conversations here are built around the listen and learn approach, but it's when you apply what you've learned that you begin to move the needle forward. So let's dive in. So Andrew, my, my first question is, let's start with the mindset. 
Why is it crucial for people in manufacturing to change their mindset, especially in the industry 4.0 era? Okay. Mindset, great place to start. Mindset and industry 4, it, it's the secret source, uh, really. It's, here's, here's the lowdown. There's a bunch of things. Um, first up, I know we start with this. It, you've got to get that top-down vibe going on. It starts at the top with senior management. They need to wave that change flag. If not, it's a no-go. Uh, we, it's not even worth moving forward if you haven't got that C-suite CXO buy-in. Yeah. Um, we're, we're talking pain avoidance motivates us far more than pleasure. Um, so we have to be motivated by you know pains, problems that are being encountered. The second area that's significant for me is break some rules. Um, I kind of touched on it at the start of the show, Jack. Um, business culture needs a shake-up fast. Ever-changing world means rule-breaking and boundary-pushing are the new norms. Mm -hmm. Third up, no perfection. This is a big one for me. Um, perfection is a lonely place to be. You build a company of one if that's what you're looking for. We say we have to focus on momentum. We start with baby steps. We build confidence. And that point, we then start small, we empower, and we scale fast. For me, the next one really is... is personal mindset. Um, everybody needs a fourth industrial revolution mindset. What does that mean? It means we need to start recognizing that customers want personalized products, that we have to therefore be super adaptable to what those needs will be. And we really kind of need to be in that groove for ever evolving change. And I think the last couple of things I, I would touch on is technology tidbits. Industry for tech is a game changer. You know, automation, IoT, artificial intelligence, traditional methods just won't cut it. It's a shift from sequential thinking to concurrent thinking. You know, multiple things are running at once that in the right collaborative platform environment, um, to the newcomers, it may feel like chaos. To the people who are used to this way of working, it becomes highly effective because you're confident that your colleagues are working on things with you at the same time. So that that is a big one for me. And I guess lastly is mindset knockdown. So check, you've got data-driven decisions, um, get ready, you've got flexibility, you've got collaboration going on, you've got skill shifts, um, you know, we've got robotics coming in, cybersecurity is more relevant today than it's ever been before, and I, you know, on and on. So all of this kind of industry for mindset is a big game changer and has to be happening. Well, interesting, Andrew. And, and so I have a couple of follow-up questions for you. And one, you just mentioned uh, the idea of starting small. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you, and, and I know you've discussed before the, the idea of start small, empower people and scale fast, mm -hmm. but can you shed some light on how manufacturers can adopt this in their operations? I mean, what, what's that practical first step? Uh, what would that okay. look like? Yep. Yep. So I kind of think of it, imagine diving into industry four, it's a little bit like wading into a, a pool. Yeah. You, you kind of dip your toe in the water. You feel the water. Is it the right temperature? Um, okay, it is. So I go to my next move. For us, we start in that manufacturing environment with just like starting any new project, you start with leadership. If you're going to go to battle, you're going to start with your leaders. Um, just when you start manufacturing, you start with that leadership layer. And for us, that's 
a manufacturing operations management layer. It's an MES layer, manufacturing execution layer, layer that we start with. So first up, we start small. We get ourselves a budget-friendly, perfect for small, mid-sized kind of operations to get some wins, to get some adoption, to get some empowerment across the, the manufacturers. Um, and we focus on the core stuff like production, quality, because that's at the heart of manufacturing. If you can't get that right, then you know, everything else is going to be irrelevant to a great degree. Second, we empower the people. We get, we get your team, real-time insight. We boost confidence so you know, you know what's going on all of the time. So we cut down on manual tasks so your crew can do more meaningful work. Then we want to make sure that we can scale fast. So I think of it as like Lego blocks, modular, scalable, uh, quick deployment, means benefits are sooner, energize the team for bigger projects. Fourth, data-driven decision-making. So we bring in dashboards and reports. So it makes decision-making fast and effective and based upon good, solid data. Then we look at quality, real-time quality checks. So we start kind of front-loaded, mid-loaded, back-loaded, look throughout from for the across the entire production. And then last thing is flexibility, making sure that we're tailoring it to fit your operation for future change. Uh, so make sure you're able to adapt to that change because that, as they say, change is the constant these days. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Andrew, speaking of change, and then also the fact that you mentioned the value of leadership in your first two responses so far in our conversation today. Mm -hmm. um, with your experience with various global companies, how have you seen the resistance to change, especially at the leadership level, and how can it be overcome? Any advice for our <laughs> listeners there? Yeah. Um, change, Jack. Always, always, always there's resistance. It's a package deal. We confront the classics, you know, lack of understanding, fear of losing control, job security jitters, you, you name it. It's the big one. And there's some real kind of little nuggets I'm going to come on to in a second. There really is no quick fix. But I do see seven or eight common themes at every time we, we come in. Number one, as I mentioned, is a lack of understanding. No one is born knowing everything. Workshops, training, friendly materials do the trick and go a long way towards it. But we need to explain consistently the why and the how to the team. Second, you've got loss of control. You know, there's, there's some control freaks out there. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And it doesn't make them bad people. It, they just feel comfortable in that. So we, we have to let these people be the co-pilots. We have to involve them. We have to ask their thoughts, empower them to steer the changing ship. Um, suddenly, it's less scary to them at that point because they, they have that visibility, that controllability. The job security nerves is also a big one because especially with industry for technologies of robotics coming and all these things. So we like to lay out the roadmap, um, show them where they're going to fit in, not just today, but in the future. Highlight those growth opportunities and those skill upgrades. Reassure them that the change doesn't mean it's a pink slip coming their way. It, it's a positive. Lack of ownership is another one. I like the saying, you can't be half pregnant, right? Um, <laughs> you know, ignore it and it'll go away. No, it never goes away. It just gets worse. So we like to map out the new role, have a heart to heart, show real empathy. And, and I'll never forget, it was a good friend of mine. He was 
a real foremost expert on EQ versus IQ. And he said, whenever you're going into any business, find out what people are doing and why they do it that way. Get to really, really understand them as people and why they do things. So I think that EQ piece is such an important part of it on the front end. Um, What else have I got? Feedback, of course. And, And I guess last up, really continuous improvement. Change is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a journey for everybody. Um, So keep ever evolving feedback and remind people that it's just all part of a journey. There's going to be some bumps in the road. Great insight. Um, Andrew, I I do want to circle back. Um, You mentioned in the first question, perfection. Mm-hmm. And and I know that you also have a bit of a mantra against waiting for perfection and promoting execution, as you uh-huh. just mentioned earlier. So what's the balance between quality and speed in the transformation? And, and, uh, and yeah. how do you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a big one. I, yeah. I think I said earlier, perfection is a lonely place to be. So in the manufacturing hustle, it's about speed meets quality. Now, manufacturing always gets a little shaky when I talk about speed because it, it you know you get engineers together and a lot of the time it's kind of all about getting it absolutely perfectly right true but in today's industry for technology world the the time for perfection is not right now it is for the product but for how you do things we say you've got to go break a few eggs to make an omelet right um, <laughs> so First thing we do is define quality standards. Start with clear quality standards and the must-hit performance indicators. No vague goals. Second up, prioritize SMART. Not all processes are born equal. Pick the game changers, the ones that impact quality and efficiency in a big way. Third, we move to continuous improvement culture. So embrace the learn-as-you-go mantra. Um, Get comfortable with mistakes, get comfortable with failures. And this goes for the C-suite down because we're all having to learn new ways of doing things with new technologies. But the great thing is that we are trying things at speed, which means we're learning quicker than the competitor, which means that we're going to be able to produce things better, faster, cheaper, and obviously getting it into the hands of your customer quicker than the others. So I think it's such a big way of working. And this, and technology is absolutely everything. I mean, I, I often say you can't fight it, you will lose. There we go. So there's a few for you. How's that? Yeah, that's great. That's great. Thank you. One of the things you, you talk about is agile revolutions. And can you explain to our listeners, what does that mean? And how do these tie into manufacturing? And why should companies pay attention to that idea? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we always talk about PPT in in these large programs, even small programs. So people, process, technology, change in manufacturing. Agile is about flexibility. It's about collaboration and incremental progress. It's about how people change. It's in momentum building layers. And that's, that's who we are as humans. I mean, I often, you know, I, I often meet people and I say, well, yeah, they were told that. And I say, well, yeah, but they were probably told another nine things at the same time. You go to a training course, you go into a meeting, you only ever remember one or two things. So it's all about building up momentum in layers. So it's about breaking free from the old school, rigid way of doing things in manufacturing where 
things used to be slow and inflexible, agile revolutions are like injecting a shot of espresso into the whole the whole process. <laughs> Companies need to pay attention because, hey, who doesn't want to be the trendsetter instead of stuck in the past? I mean, yeah. I, I think we want to be. And so agile revolutions, you're not just making stuff. You're making stuff efficiently. You're adapting on the fly and staying ahead of the curve. It's like giving manufacturing a turbo boost. There you go. Well, okay, let's let's dig a deep, a little deeper on this topic, Andrew. Um, talk to us more about the intersection of smart manufacturing and agile methodologies. How do they complement each other? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, well, well, let's let's start by putting agile in the more conceptual context you know there's some real true agile people out there who when i talk agile they get a little bit upset because i'm not using the true safe methodology etc i i use agile in a more of a conceptual context just to to precursor so it's like to me the the perfect dance between a smart manufacturing and agile methodology smart manufacturing is all about leveraging tech to optimize processes and Agile, well, it's it's like the MVP of project management, flexible, adaptable, and always ready for change. So if you imagine you're in high-tech, in a high-tech factory where machines are talking to each other, sending data and, and doing their thing, smart manufacturing sets up this awesome foundation. Now, through Agile in the mix, it's like the conductor of the orchestra, making sure everyone is in sync and adjusting on the fly. Agile keeps the team nimble, responsive, and perfect for the fast-paced world of smart manufacturing. Because when you want to tweak a process or roll out updates, Agile is right there with you. It's not about rigid plans. It's about staying on your toes and embracing changes as they're coming in. So I guess in a nutshell, smart manufacturing and Agile are like kind of Batman and Robin, so to speak, of innovation. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. one's the tech genius, and the other one's the agile superhero, making yeah. sure everything runs smoothly. Yeah, the the perfect one-two punch. You got it. Yeah, kapow. kapow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you you mentioned in your intro that your experience with tech started with SAP, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, what would you say to our listeners? And since this is the ERP Organizational Change Journal. Um, How do ERP platforms like these play into the broader picture of operational transformation? Uh, Kind of a question, but what do you say about that? Well, I mean, it's my background uh, today. It's it's probably the kind of horizontal of product lifecycle, but I am a massive fan of of, of SAP. Manufacturing, to me, is the heart of the operation, right? I, I think it is. It's where the rubber hits the road. It's where the magic happens. And SAP is like the brain orchestrating the whole show. Now, when we talk about integration, it's like SAP and the manufacturing floor are best buds who kind of share everything together. You've got production schedules. They're kind of texting each other. Inventory management is like a constant update on who's got what and when they need it. On the financial data side of things, that's where kind of the serious talk takes place SAP and manufacturing are syncing up on cost tracking, billing, budgeting like a powerful kind of team making financial decisions together. Um, 
Last couple of areas for me is material planning is where the teamwork really, really shines between the two. It's not just about transferring material requirements. It's like SAP and the manufacturing crew are doing a kind of synchronized dance together, making sure every nut and bolt is in the right place at the right time. And then lastly, it's inventory. Um, it's like having a real-time GPS for your stock. They're sharing info on inventory levels and demand forecasts, making sure you never run out of what you need. It's a well-oiled machine. And SAP is the maestro conducting the symphony of manufacturing efficiency. Well, well said. Well, now let me ask you this, Andrew. Um, we deal a great deal, actually, with PLM. Mm-hmm. And given your current role as Vice President of Software and Services at XD Innovation, mm-hmm. can you shed light on how PLM is revolutionizing the manufacturing industry? I think, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a anti even though I've got an SAP background um, yeah. where acronyms are king. Um, I try to avoid the term PLM because it's now become associated with PLM as an enterprise application. Period. Mm -hmm. For me, it's about the product life cycle. So I think of it, of everything from ideation through engineering, through simulation, manufacturing and maintenance and and recycling, etc. So the new world of innovation, we've moved on so much over here into not just cost, cost cutting as a way to show performance to our, you know, NYSE, we've had to innovate a lot more. Customer centricity, personalization, product centricity. Um, My role as VP of Software and Services at XD Innovation, I have a front row seat to witness how the product lifecycle is orchestrating a significant revolution in the manufacturing industry. PLM, I'll use it, um, essentially is the linchpin of innovation. It's not merely a management tool or a data tool. It's a strategic force that's driving the entire life cycle of a product from concept to production. PLM is acting as the meticulous conductor, ensuring seamless coordination and collaboration among a whole diverse group of of stakeholders. Follow up to that. You speak of the revolution, right? I mean, we've touched on that a couple of times so far in our conversation. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, typically revolution implies change. Mm -hmm. What is the significance of digital manufacturing and execution in the current market scenario? And how can manufacturers stay ahead of the curve? I mean, often you see, you know, there's a significant organizational change effort, time, money, and effort. And next thing you know, you're you're falling behind the curve, right? Because of the evolution of technology and the benefits of technology. So, yeah. so what is the significance of digital manufacturing execution in the current market scenario? And how can manufacturers stay ahead of that curve? Yeah, I, I think it's, if I was talking about what are the, the most significant game changes in manufacturing today, digital manufacturing would be number two. It's it's right up there. Um, you can ask me number one in a second, but in the current market landscape, digital manufacturing execution emerges as a strategic force, akin, if you like, to a dynamic kind of duo, once again, reshaping the manufacturing narrative. The, the concept of try before you buy, encapsulated by the digital twin paradigm, 
serves as a pivotal kind of innovation point. It allows enterprises to simulate and validate their processes digitally, which is a wholly prudent step before committing to a full-scale execution, which, as we know, is extremely expensive. Um, the real-time adaptability facilitated by data and intelligence integration stands as another cornerstone in this whole digital manufacturing piece. However, beyond kind of the technology facet side of the thing, the crux lies in a visionary approach. Um, manufacturers these days need to delineate a clear destination and reverse engineer their pathway. And one of the best ways of doing that is through digital manufacturing. In essence, digital manufacturing and execution is a formidable ally in the pursuit of market dominance. Um, it really can allow you to get ahead at a lower cost. It encapsulates a methodology of testing, adaptation, and continuous improvement through and through. So, um, well, you, you want to know what number one is? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Number one is artificial intelligence. I mean, yeah. that is just going to yeah. disrupt the landscape dramatically. And, and yeah. I frequently talk about, in fact, I put something out the other day, when you get in your vehicle these days and you say, you know, Siri, take me X, Y, Z, we go on our manufacturing form, we don't have that ability. We have a manual process to adjust our lines. Imagine as we go forward now that artificial intelligence reads inventory, reads customer orders, and adapts the lines automatically. I mean, super exciting. That That's really yeah. going to start changing things. Yeah, I totally agreed, Andrew. And and I think it's just a fascinating topic, right? I think there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of excitement around AI. And, you know, specifically, you know, we're doing a lot of answering questions, actually, and a lot of research and, and some predictions in the space of ERP in terms of how AI can change that. Because, you know, as you mm. mentioned earlier, this idea of PPT, right? People, processes, and technology. And yep. I, I, and obviously that's a real thing. It's, it's, you know, as we've discussed on previous podcasts, it's a bit of a cliche, but it's, it's real. I, I mean, this idea of the relationship between people slash leadership slash culture and processes and technology is super critical. And the more that you can find the balance on how those interplay in any given yep. context uh, makes a great deal of difference. And, and so in a successful transformation and one of my fascinating topics is, okay, technology comes along with a, you know, such as AI, mm. um, how will that AI variable of that formula, the, the technology category impact perhaps um, weaknesses in the people or processes part of that equation. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it is a fascinating topic and, and um, it, it's exciting and, and um, maybe a little bit anxiety inducing at the same time to see what happens there. Um, sure. But, yeah. but Andrew, I, um, you know, so you emphasize the integration of PPT or again, mm -hmm. people, processes and technology. Can you share maybe a bit of a case study? Can you share a success story where this integration led mm. to significant improvements? Yep, yep. Um, yeah, this is one close to my heart as we continue on with it. It's a bit of a roller coaster of a, of a success story that involved a manufacturer that was grappling with a major shift. They, they'd been hit in the markets. They'd been reported that their quality was significantly below. It was all over the press, and they decided that they wanted to change their manufacturing execution and manufacturing operations systems. Biggest change ever 
for any organization is to switch out mess mom. Um, so I think you have to be sensitive to that. So what they've done at a local level is they've crafted their own in-house MES, manufacturing execution system. And then, and they were all very happy and we're about to start on the implementation journey. And then boom, head office comes along, drops the bomb and they said, nope, we're gonna go with a global MES mom solution. Um, Cue the collective size and resistance from the manufacturing engineers. Um, I spoke to them a few days later, and you could you could feel the tension in the air. It was like you better have something good for us because we've just spent a year designing <laughs> what was perfect for us. So I walked into that scenario. It was like stepping into the hornet's nest, so to speak. The engineers were attached to their baby, their in-house <laughs> MES. The yeah. idea of change was as popular as a root canal. Um, <laughs> the, the, the prime consultants were there, but it seemed like they were speaking a different language. Um, yeah. They didn't quite get the manufacturing nuances, unfortunately, this consulting group, and their initial design was kind of like a puzzle missing half of its pieces. So how did we turn that ship around? So first off, we had to kind of be bilingual. We had to speak both engineer and consultant languages fluently. Um, we had to understand their business processes intimately. And thankfully, the people who came from our side understood that business extremely well. We did a deep dive into their world. We listened to the engineers' concerns, frustrations, their hopes. And we needed to assure them that this new system wasn't the enemy, but it was a strategic ally, immediate term as well as long term. You know, the immediate term is, can I do my job? The long term is, can my organization benefit from this as well? Bottom line. So we brought in our heavy artillery, so to speak, the experienced process and solution architects who knew the ins and outs of both manufacturing process and, and the proposed solution. That was crucial because, again, it was empathy. It was people sitting down with people and understanding what they did. And, and that was a breath of fresh air to them, that somebody was talking the language. It wasn't just about aligning technology. It was truly about marrying it seamlessly with their established processes. So kind of our superhero, if you will, was communication. Uh, we kept everybody in the loop from the engineers to the higher ups. We ensured that the integration wasn't just a tech overhaul, but it was a cultural shift. It wasn't easy. It was slow going. Um, the resistance did wane, however, as they saw the benefits as we started to produce functionality, release it in sprints, so to speak. So they go, oh, actually, this is good. We're enjoying this. This actually is a step forward. You know, a new user interface, all these kind of good things, they really appreciate it. So I guess the lessons learned, cut a long story short, integration isn't just about plugging in technology. It's about intertwining people, processes, and technology, you've got to know their language, understand their landscape, and bridge those gaps. And that's how, to us, you ensure not just a fit, but the best fit, making sure that the integration is a success story. And I guess the last thing is, you know, when you're bringing somebody in, you expect them to be experts. Um, showing them a few references and case studies doesn't matter. To me, it's about bringing the A-team. So don't tell me who did it 20 years ago. Tell me who you've got today who can do the job for me today. So bring the A-team. There you go. Yeah, great story. 
And and I like how you said the the, the key is not marrying technology, but aligning it with organizational process. I, I may have mm-hmm. paraphrased a little bit there, but uh, what a great point. Um, Andrew, as we wrap up this incredibly insightful conversation, I'd like to ask you for your golden nugget. So given all that we've discussed today, could you briefly summarize the key takeaways for our listeners should, that our listeners should remember? And then based on these insights, what is the single most valuable piece of advice you would offer our listeners as they navigate their own journey? Okay. Yep. Yep. So dynamic realm manufacturing really mm-hmm. is, um, you know, if, if your system goes down for seconds in automotive, you could, you could be spending thousands, losing thousands. So embracing change is not an option it's a strategic imperative today whether it's integrating smart manufacturing with agile approaches adopting digital manufacturing and execution or just navigating the challenges of mindset shifts in the industry for technology area you know i've got four or five that stand out for me Um, one start small empower and scale fast Begin with manageable steps, build confidence, and then amplify. The start small, empower, scale fast mantra has to be your compass, number one. Number two, balance quality and speed. Striking the right balance between quality and speed in MES or manufacturing operations management transformation is crucial. Three, mindset. Cultivate a mindset that embraces change, innovation, and collaborative thinking. And then fourth, digital manufacturing and execution magic. Digital twins, real-time adjustments, and vision-driven approaches define the significance of digital manufacturing and execution. It's not just technology. It really is a strategic shift and journey. And so I guess the last uh, single most valuable piece of advice I would give to your listeners navigating the manufacturing journey would be this. Be bold in embracing change. The manufacturing landscape is evolving rapidly, and those who dare to innovate, learn from failures, and continuously adapt will not only survive, but will thrive in this transformative era. It's not about keeping pace. It's not about standing still, because that's going backwards. It's about leading the way. So embrace change with courage, focus, and remember the journey is as important as the destination. Best of luck to everybody who goes on that journey. Absolutely. Good stuff. Dynamic realm manufacturing. I love it. Um, Wow. Uh, What an enlightening discussion uh, we've had today, Andrew. I I really appreciate it. And to recap for our listeners, uh, we dove into manufacturing, understanding the importance of agile revolutions, the intertwining of mindsets, processes, and technology, and the undeniable role of innovation in Industry 4.0. And Andrew's insights underscored the need for a holistic approach, emphasizing that transformation starts at the individual level and ripples outward to the entire manufacturing ecosystem. So to our listeners, I urge you to take these invaluable learnings and think about how you can apply them into your own spheres. Whether you're at the helm of decision-making or on the shop floor, these principles can be your guiding light. Remember, knowledge is most powerful when applied. Let's take these insights and drive real change in our industries. Until next time, keep innovating and transforming. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, we truly appreciate your dedication to your trade. I, I really appreciate your your work. Before we let you go, can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you, please, uh, to learn more? 
Hundred um, percent. So easily found on LinkedIn. I tend to be pretty loud in there, um, and that's usually Andrew Sparrow for IR or on my email, which is a Sparrow A S for Sam P A R R O W at xdinnovation.com. Jack, thanks so much. Really appreciate you inviting me on. You're very welcome. And we'll definitely uh, throw your information in the show notes as well. Uh, but yeah, Andrew, thank you again. Uh, really appreciate it. Be well and, uh, and we'll certainly be in touch. Appreciate it. Thanks. You bet. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the ERP OCJ podcast. This podcast is intended as a forum to study, share, and discuss ERP organizational change successes and challenges. We discuss the people, process, and technological components of ERP organizational change by drawing on knowledge from extensive research, collaborative learning, and practitioner expertise and experience. We are incredibly grateful to have friends, colleagues, and mentors join us in our podcast as we seek to promote, connect, and foster relationships in the ERP organizational change community and contribute to its success by bringing research and practice closer together. We want to make sure this is the most useful and insightful ERP podcast you listen to, and we'd love your help in doing so by leaving us feedback and a review. A great place to do so is at Apple Podcasts. Just click on the Listen in Apple Podcasts link, then click Ratings and Reviews, and let us know your thoughts. You can get more info about the show, including show notes and episode highlights for this and all of our episodes by visiting nestleandassociates.com and clicking the Podcast option. Please join us again next week as we discuss the latest ERP organizational change research, practice, and stories. And don't forget to follow us on social media, hashtag the ERPOCJ. Thanks again for listening. Have a fantastic week.